Today's reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for who you are in our lives. Lord, I ask that for all of us here in this place who call ourselves followers of you, that we would put you first every moment, God, including right now. Lord, whatever is on our minds, whatever um, is going on, whatever circumstances, if there's um, distractions, just uh, anything, physical pain, Lord, we ask that you would be first. God, that we would put you first in our hearts and that, Holy Spirit, you would be with us today to receive more joy, receive more life abundant in you. God, be with your church. Take us to new places as we seek you and seek to put you first. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Please be seated. Have you guys ever been preparing your sermon and on Sunday morning you realize that throughout the week it has taken on a completely different life than you expected it to take when you planned it previously? Of course, you've all been there, right? Uh, that's, that's where I find myself this morning. Um, I have, throughout the week, as I've prayed and studied and researched, been led in a completely different direction than I expected this sermon to take when it was planned well over a year ago. Um, some of you may know that I grew up the son of a pastor remember my mom on Saturday nights used to ask my dad, so, so how are you feeling about the sermon tomorrow? And my dad would almost always say this. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think this sermon is for everyone. But I know it's for someone. That is what I bring to you this morning. The message that God has laid on my heart may not be for everyone, but I know that it's for someone. If you are that someone, find me, find Travis. If you can't find us, tell somebody at the end of this service. Let us know how we can pray for you. Let us know how we can walk beside you in this journey. Now, on Tuesday of this week, uh, it is election day. Midterm elections, probably the uh, second most important day in our country's four-year election cycle. And as I even say these words, many of you are getting really nervous. Don't get nervous. There's going to be a time to get nervous later on in this message. That's not now. Um, 
as I think about election day, I, I, took the, I took the opportunity to early vote. How cool is it that we live in a state that we can early vote, right? Um, and I go in and I did the best I could to, to um, research and inform myself on the issues and the candidates. And, and, and then you walk in there and you've got the candidates and, and suddenly there's like 30 other names that you've never heard of. And, you know, what if this is actually the right lady to vote for? That's the right dude to vote for? And you don't know. And there's all this pressure and this sense of duty and burden that comes along with, with these major elections. And it builds up this anxiety as, as I was in the booth thinking, how can I possibly know? How can I possibly know? And what happens in those moments is we begin to get numb. We begin to get apathetic. We're so inundated with these messages of, of our duty and burden. And we think, I, who am I? I can't make a difference. I can't even get to a place that I feel confident that I'm making the right decision. So I'm just not going to do anything. In church circles, we often throw around terms and we do a terrible job of defining them. And one of them is the word call. God's call in our life. We talk about it all the time. As a self-professed follower of Jesus Christ, your duty is to find God's call in your life, pursue God's call in your life. And so often we hear these things and we think... How do I know what God's call is in my life? I've been sitting in these pews all my life, and I've heard preachers tell me about God's call and, and the Holy Spirit. And i got to be honest with you, I've never actually heard anything. How do I know? And we become numb and apathetic and we spend our lives in this thought loop of what does it even matter? I can't do anything. You see, I, I feel like a lot of us, we, we, we would like to think we're going to pursue God's call in our life. And, and we sit and we wait for that lightning bolt or that burning bush or that audible voice and we never hear it. So we think, well, I'm just not called to do anything. So we don't actually do anything. The question is, what are we doing to put ourselves in a position to hear that call? What are we doing to put ourselves in a posture to receive, to feel, to discern the word of God in our lives. This morning, Meredith read for us four simple verses. In the 13th chapter of the book of Acts. Now, if you guys have been with us for the last few weeks, you know we are, we are knee-deep in a series where we're walking through the book of Acts using this New Testament character, this personality, Barnabas, as our framework. The idea being so many of us are paralyzed by the, by the fact that we don't have the faith of Abraham, that we don't have the wisdom of Moses or the courage of David, these superheroes of the faith. But this kind of anonymous character in the New Testament, Barnabas, that's, 
He's just a dude. He's just a guy. He's, in our minds, obtainable. I can do that. As we've been unpacking the personality, the characteristics, the attributes that Barnabas brings to the table, we recognize if we can cultivate those attributes in our own lives, perhaps we see the growth in the church in 2018 that they saw in the church 2,000 years ago. What we see in these four verses that Meredith read for us is Barnabas's call narrative. There's another one of those phrases we throw around so often, the call narrative of the disciples, the call narrative of Abraham in the Old Testament. These verses show us when, when Barnabas was called to go, and Luke knew exactly what he was doing. When he kind of painted this picture, he described this scene because this is a crucial event in the early growth of the church and the spread of the gospel throughout the world. Because what we have in these four verses is the first planned missions journey that was undertaken by a church body. Rather than by individuals, this is the first time that the gospel was intentionally spread not as a derivative or a byproduct of persecution. That's how it happened so often. There was great persecution in the church, and that scattered believers, and as believers scattered, they brought the gospel with them. This was planned intentionally under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, there it is, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. One of those phrases that absolutely freak us out. It just... I don't know, it, it feels so weird and the Holy Spirit kind of has this, this new agey, mystical quality about it. And it's just not something we really talk much about in 2018. Why is that? Why are we so freaked out about talking about the movement of the Holy Spirit? Maybe it's because Largely, followers of Christ fall into one of two extremes in their relationship with the Holy Spirit. On, on one side, you've got those that um, they're, they're almost obsessed with the guidance of the Holy Spirit in every single detail and minutia of their life. Oftentimes, um, you know, they, they will make radical changes in their life after this euphoric spiritual moment where you know there's this swell of music in a worship service and, and just in that instance without thinking they, they make some massive radical declaration about the way their life is going to be. Or, or it, it's, in, it's in smaller coincidences. Maybe they, maybe they feel like the Holy Spirit has, has called them to not only describe but reenact a, turn, uh, a scene from The Simpsons in a church service one Sunday morning. And in retrospect, that might not have been the Holy Spirit at all. Um, maybe, maybe they. Uh, we all have the friend that that said, "I, you know, I, I think I, maybe I want to ask this girl out, but I don't know if I should ask this girl out. And I've been praying about it, and I'm not I'm not feeling anything." And then I was driving along, and and I, I looked outside, and the sky was blue, and it was the exact color of Rachel's eyes. And in that moment, God told me to go ask out Rachel. Maybe, maybe. But we hear those stories and it's a bit unsettling. 
On the other end of the spectrum, there are those of us that kind of ignore the Holy Spirit altogether. There are those of us as believers that we, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the presence of the Holy Spirit. But we react to the Holy Spirit kind of in the same way that I react to my pancreas. Um, I know that it's there. I am sure that it does something, probably something pretty important. Uh, I'm glad that I have it. I would hate to lose it. But I don't really interact with it. I don't often think about my pancreas. You see, it's those people that, that they believe in the Holy Spirit, but to them, the Holy Spirit isn't a living, moving, dynamic being to interact with. It's more of a theory. Grateful that it's real doesn't really have anything to do with my day-to-day life. When we hear the movement of the Holy Spirit, usually we think of one of those two extremes. Did you know that, that in this book of Acts, 28 chapters, the Holy Spirit appears 59 times? The Holy Spirit is the most important personality in the growth of the church. Yet so often we completely ignore the presence. We hardly ever focus on his movement amongst believers today. In the 16th chapter of John, this Last time that Jesus was with all of his disciples together at the same time, immediately before he was arrested and executed, he makes an astounding promise to his disciples. In John 16, as he is telling them what's about to happen, as he is warning them about the events that are about to unfold, he says to them, guys, but it's cool. Don't worry. Because you're actually better off that I return to heaven. Because by me returning to heaven, you will receive the Holy Spirit in your lives. Think about that. Jesus told his disciples, don't worry. You're better with the Holy Spirit in your lives then you are with me. That's astonishing. If you ask Christians today, would you rather have Jesus beside you or the Holy Spirit inside you? 99 out of 100, 999 out of 1,000 would say, give me Jesus every single time. Which shows us exactly how little we understand and grasp the importance of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We don't even think about it.
Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, two short verses. In those verses, we see the movement of the Holy Spirit. We see Barnabas called by the Holy Spirit and sent out. The question becomes, what's different in that church? What's different in Barnabas' life than in my life? Why don't I hear that? Why don't I have that? Well, there's several clues that we get in just these two short verses. The first is Barnabas and Saul, these men that were called, that were sent out on history's first missions journey. They were a part of a community. They had intimate relationships with other believers. Guys, the scripture is packed with calls to us as believers to be a part of the body of Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, the author of Hebrews reminds us not to neglect meeting together regularly. Because in that we can encourage one another, we can build one another up, we can can stir up the good works in each other, Hebrews tells us. Don't neglect meeting together regularly. Bad news, guys. Regularly is not once a month. I know you don't like hearing that. Regularly is not when I feel like it. Regularly is not when uh, I'm not too tired. Regularly is not when there isn't a big ball game on TV. That is not how we build community. Now, I also need you to hear me say, being a good Christian, being a follower of Christ, does not mean you have to be in these walls every Sunday at 1030 in the morning. I am not saying that. What I am saying is, if it's an afterthought, you need to begin to consider where you are in your faith journey. If this is, I don't really have anything else going this weekend, so yeah, I'll be there. That's a big deal. If you are not experiencing life-giving biblical community somewhere in your life, that's a big deal. If the one hour you're in here a week is the sum total of your experience with other believers, that's a big deal. Barnabas and Saul were a part of a life-giving biblical community. They had intimate relationships with other believers. Community is more than a simple presence. It is knowing and being known by other followers of Christ, which allows us to encourage one another. It allows us to build each other up. It allows us to bear each other's burdens. It allows us to bring each other before the Lord, and it allows us to speak into each other's lives. Look at verse 2 in chapter 13. 
As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. In this context, in this scenario, in this scene that Luke paints for us, who heard the movement of the Holy Spirit? All of them. The community. The body of believers. And it's in that context that the Holy Spirit moved. The Lord called the church sent. What else do we see in just these two simple verses? We see some tangible things that Barnabas was doing. Worshiping, bringing glory to to God. Praying, constant communication with his maker. Intimate relationship with the Lord so that you can discern his voice from all of the other voices that we're constantly inundated with. There's one verb in these two verses that's used twice. What is that one? Fasting. Now y'all getting real nervous. Real quick, let's talk about fasting. Fasting is one of the physical aspects of discipleship. It, It is through the act of fasting that we teach ourselves how to conquer our physical impulses and our physical desires. When you hear the word fasting, you most often think of going without food for a certain period of time. And oftentimes that's exactly what it is. And and it's in that that we put ourselves in a posture of receiving. But there are so many other ways we can do that. You want to talk about about our physical impulses and desires, many of which are, are completely kind of In our subconscious, we don't even recognize them. In 2018, the impulse that has taken over almost all all of our lives is the impulse to fill every single moment. You see, in our culture today, our mortal enemy, our greatest fear is boredom. Next time you're in the grocery store and you're standing in line waiting to check out, and I've got good news for those of you that live in East Nashville, if you go to either one of our friendly neighborhood Kroger's, you're not going to have a hard time finding a line to stand in. Um, And as you are there, look around at the other people waiting in line. How many of them have out their phones? Because the idea of just standing there in silence is unconscionable. We couldn't imagine. How many times have you gone to the bathroom only to find to your horror that you left your phone in the other room? That's the world we live in today. This morning we had a prayer and altar time. And there was silence. A moment that we create every single week so that those of us that come here to worship together can can have a place to commune with our Heavenly Father. 60 seconds. That's how long that lasted. How many of you, after about 15 seconds, couldn't focus on anything? 
all you could think about is, this is so awkward. When's he going to start talking again? I don't know what to do. You know, Ricky Bobby, what do I do with my hands? That's the world we live in right now. As we're thinking about what do we need to do to put ourselves in a posture of receiving? What do we need to do to cultivate listening to the Holy Spirit in our lives? Maybe it's fasting from technology. This week, try six hours. What would happen if you put your phones away for six hours? You will be shocked. You will be shocked at what happens. You see, our addiction to constant information and constant connection has literally physically rewired our brains. It's it's so dangerous that that modern sociologists believe that, that our need to desperately fill every moment of boredom has caused us to lose our capacity for solitude. Any lack of capacity for solitude completely inhibits our ability for deep thinking and for deep feeling, which prevents us from building profound emotional connections with the world around us, with ourselves, and with the Father. The good news is it can be reversed. If this morning you're thinking, Hannah, this is great. The Holy Spirit and the call and all that's wonderful and I've read about it and I believe that but I've never heard it. This week, take some steps to put yourself in a place where you might hear the Spirit moving in your life. Take some steps to cut the tether and get back to a place of solitude to commune with your Heavenly Father. The next thing that we see in these simple verses in Acts chapter 13 that Meredith read for us this morning is what happens after Barnabas, this regular guy, hears the word of the Lord. He goes like, that's it. From verse 3 to verse 4. Verse 3, then after they had fasted, prayed, laid hands on them, they sent them off. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there sailed to Cyprus. They were out. It always makes me wonder what that next prayer meeting was like in Antioch. Probably not as well attended. You know, my guess is there's a lot of people in Antioch saying... I'm not going to head out there because I may end up in Cyprus next week. Barnabas and Saul heard the call of the Lord and they went. One verse. They were gone. They didn't tie up loose ends. They didn't wait for the right moment. They heard the Spirit moving and they acted. 
How is that even possible in 2018? Well, there's a couple of steps that we need to take in order to be ready to act on the movement of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Step one is shedding idols. Now, a lot of you are thinking, all right, good, I'm there. Shedding idols, I got it. You know, there's no golden calf in my living room. I, you know, I, this, this is the, I'm good on that one, Hannah. What's step two? Well, do you guys remember what idols are? Anything we put before God. Don't have any idols that you place before me. Y'all remember that from the Charlton Heston movie? Anything we put before God is an idol. And the way Satan so often works in our lives is it's through the good things, the pure things, the joyful things in our life that he creates these idols. Let's remember the story of Barnabas leading up to this moment. Barnabas gave up everything in Jerusalem. He goes kind of uh, to this, these outcast believers in Antioch. They were Gentile believers. They were disconnected from the church. He goes to check them out. He sees the Holy Spirit moving. And so he devotes his life to that community. We see in chapter 11 how, how God was adding people every day. So many people came to know the Lord in that community. He brings in Saul, trains him up. He, he builds up this, this group of leaders that we read about in the first verse of chapter 13. Incredibly diverse, incredibly dynamic. Things are happening. If that were me, I'm not going anywhere. I hear God say to me, all right, Hannah, it's time to go and do this other thing. And my response is, that's a, that's a great idea, God. That is a, that is a, I'm, I'm, that's a good idea. But you see, I'm here at the church at Lachlan Springs, and, and people are finally coming, and we're making connections with the neighborhood, and the community is recognizing us, and your name is being proclaimed here on the corner of 16th and Holly. And if I leave, well, this whole thing's going to crumble. But, but I'm sure there are other people that can do that thing over there. You see, in that scenario, ministry itself has become the idol. It's the thing I've put in front of God. Your children. God... I, I really, I hear you. I put myself in a posture to receive your word and, and it's a great word and I'm excited about it. But we just got the kids into this awesome school and there's soccer practice and there's ballet and they've got these friends. And if I go do this thing, what kind of childhood am I robbing my children of? It's an idol. Security, safety, idols, happiness. It's an idol. Hear me say this. Ministry, your children's childhood, security, safety, happiness, 
None of these are bad things. None of these are things that God wants to deny you. None of these are promised to you. And when we feel like we have a right to any of those things, they have become an idol. When we refuse to answer God's call in our life because of those things, we have let them become an idol. If we want to be ready to answer God's call in our life, step one is shedding idols in our life. Anything that comes between us and him. The second step is a step of faith. Chapter 13 of Acts, as Barnabas and Saul are set aside by the Lord, they're called by the Holy Spirit. The one certainty is the call. The people they're going to, the how they're going to spread the gospel, the what's going to happen when they get there, None of that is laid out. Abraham in Genesis, you know, the the, the old covenant, the famous story, and, and God tells Abraham, go to the land to which I'll tell you. That's it. Just start walking. That's all the information he got. And what does Abraham do? He puts one foot in front of the other, and he starts walking. So many of us feel a call in our lives to do something. And our response is, all right, God, but how is this going to happen? How is that going to happen? I'm not quite in that place yet to do this thing that you have called me to, and I don't understand how it's all going to work out. We so desperately want God to give us the road map from where I am today to where he wants me to go. When in reality, all God does so often is flip on the headlights so we can see the guardrail and get around the next turn. How are we equipped to answer the call of the Holy Spirit in our life? Just take that first step. Now, here's the really bad news. The Holy Spirit moving in our life The call of the Holy Spirit in our life is not reserved for missionaries. It is not exclusive to people in ministry. If this morning you self-identify as a follower of Jesus, you are called. Definitively. Every one of us is called to spiritual growth, to spiritual maturity... The author of Hebrews likens it to to a baby that was nourished on just milk. And as you grow, you want solid food. Every one of us is called to to grow and mature in that way to where we're, we're chewing on spiritually solid food. Paul, 
In Philippians chapter 3, he talks about his own journey and how he has not yet completed his journey of spiritual maturity, the call in his life. But he says he, he will always be looking forward, always be striving for Christ. We're all called to that growth and that maturity. Everyone is called to do something. God is calling you to growth. God is calling you to maturity in your faith. If your faith today looks exactly like it looked five years ago, that's a big deal. God is calling you to something and we are here to help. We are here to walk alongside you in this journey. We are here to pray for you, to equip you, to love you, to support you, to encourage you as you are pursuing God's call in your life. For the last several weeks, we have been talking about these next commitment cards that you see in the pew rack in front of you. I've asked you to look those things over and, and start to use them as a prayer guide. This week, I'm going to ask once again, pick one of these up. Take it home, put it on your mirror, and pray over it. There are so many things God might be calling you to in your life. The reality is there are people in this room right now that will be called to the mission field. Everybody thinks it's going to be somebody else. And maybe it will be, but maybe not. Maybe it's you. There are people in this room that are called to get their financial house in order because they are so paralyzed financially, they couldn't move even if God asked them to. And this morning, God is asking that person, it's time to take one step, make a budget. Maybe you're being called to that life-giving biblical community. Maybe you're being called to small groups. Maybe you're being called to serve. Maybe you're being called to, to begin to discern how God knit you together through these opportunities like inward, outward, and upward that we have this week. But you're called to something. This week, take time. Find solitude disconnect, even if it's just for a few hours, and ask the Lord, what is it I'm called to? What is this next step? Listen for a response, and then be prepared to act. As we close this morning, and, and Drew brings the team up to lead us in a song of praise and worship. I want to pray for us, and I'm going to take a page out of the Chris Brooks Kairos playbook. And for just a moment, I'm going to ask you to put your hands out in a posture of receiving. Would you do that? Lord, we 
are humbled and amazed by your presence with us this morning. We cannot express our gratitude for the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We ask forgiveness that we so often ignore this incredible gift. Lead us this week to a place of solitude. Speak to us. It's in the name of your precious Son that we pray. Amen.